0: Turn with me to our reading sheet. It is in your bulletin. We are going to read Jeremiah 29 10 through 14 together. This then is the text for today. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. May God bless the reading of his word. You have been on a cursory search. We've all been on cursory these kinds of cursory searches. It's kind of like when you tell your youngest daughter to go look for her shoes and she walks in a circle and for about six seconds she looks and then she says, I can't find them. (laughs) That's the kind of cursory search that we're talking about this morning. Or the same thing happens when you're looking for Scott Lane's ball on the golf course. You look for about six seconds, and you say, I can't find it. I'm sorry, Scott. <laughs> it's, it's all just a cursory search to say that you looked for it. So you're not, you're not, you don't really have any real intention of finding Scott Lane's golf ball. You just leave it out there in the trees to say you look for it. You have no intention. You search because you're supposed to search. And the whole thing lasts for about six seconds likewise these are rush days we spend six seconds doing a lot of things including reading our scripture we do these cursory searches of scripture six seconds looking for a magical formula that will fix our lives and you know in those cursory uh, searches of scripture where we look for the incredible fix one of the places that we run quickly is Jeremiah 29:11. Jeremiah 29:11. It's one of those sentences. It's lasted through the ages. some 2,600 years old. We've all memorized it. We've all have it framed in our homes. In six seconds, we can find Jeremiah 29:11. But few of us have experienced it. We've all talked about it but we've yet to live it because we don't know verse 10. You see, a cursory search of Scripture does not allow for verse 10. There's no time for verse 10, which produces a false narrative. We cling to Jeremiah 29, 11 without any context, and verse 10 looms over us like a dark summer storm. We tell ourselves that Jeremiah 29 11 is the guarantee and surely the guarantee is that it will come about as quickly as we found it in just about six seconds but look down at verse 10 with me Jeremiah 29:10. for thus says the Lord when 70 years have been completed now how long is it before Jeremiah 29 11 comes to fruition Seventy years? How old are you going to be in 70 years? Think with me, way out there, July 2088. How old are you going to be in July 2088? Where are you going to be? You see, we, we want fixes in seconds, and here is Jeremiah in 29.10 saying it is going to be decades. An entire generation of people will pass away before this comes to fruition. I wonder why no one liked Jeremiah. <laughs> now, let's keep going. Keep going in verse 10. When 70 years have been completed... And not completed for us, not completed for Israel, but completed for Babylon. See, it's not Israel, but a foreign occupying power. You see, the context of this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, is right in the middle of one of the most terrifying seasons on this earth. It started earlier, much earlier, about 606 B.C., when King Nebuchadnezzar started shipping off prisoners of war. Daniel was in this early group. You remember Daniel in the the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They they were in that that early group that was shipped off. Their stories fit here. They were part of those first prisoners of war. But soon, about the same time Jeremiah wrote this verse, nearly everyone was a prisoner of war. The entire nation of Israel picked up and shipped off. Every able-bodied person was sent out away from their homes. Every able-bodied person in the country would be forced to hike 700 miles with enemy troops at their backs, leaving everything that they have ever known to be POWs in a distant land that did not want them. See, at the moment Jeremiah 29, 11 was written, much of Israel, almost all of it, was in exile. And being in an exile, that means no home, no possessions, no church, no opportunity, no worship, no roots, no Christmas, no Easter, or at least their, um, their equivalent festivals. And in this moment, the time he's, he's writing this, the temple is still standing, but not for long. The temple, the temple itself is about to crumble. In fact, the whole city of Jerusalem was disintegrating like a sandcastle in a hurricane, it's all coming down. Not one of us have experienced that kind of suffering. But I will say this, we we may not have experienced that kind of suffering, but some of us have known a similar kind of exile. We have felt those emotions of exile deep in our hearts, where it hurts. It's those feelings of, of loneliness where you, you are completely alone. Even in a room full of people, you feel completely alone. That's what they were, they were dealing with. There, there are days when, when even those of us in this room, we feel like we're 700 miles away from God. We feel like we're 700 miles away from our church. And we don't know where we're going to turn next. Those, those are the emotions of exile. There maybe those deepest emotions of Exile. Or when we begin to realize that the life that we have built for ourselves, the, the life that we have built with our own two hands is crumbling around us because we built it on the sand instead of, instead of building it upon the rock. Those are the emotions of exile when the life that you have built is cratering around you. We may not have known their kind of exile, but we have felt those emotions. Deep in our families, we have felt them. We're lost without our Lord. See, even even sitting in our homes that we have today, we can feel lost and lonely, unaware that these are the emotions that we're experiencing, these emotions of exile. So the question before us then is, is why did this happen? Why did this happen to, to Israel why were they banished into exile hundreds of miles away from the land that God had promised them? God had told them, here is the promised land. Here is the, the land flowing with milk and honey. Come and grow. Come and build your families up. Let this be the nation above every nation because you are God's children in the land of promise to you by God. Why don't you, you be planted there and be great fruit in that place? And here they are. They're being marched off as prisoners of war from that land that God had promised them. What what happened? You know, often when we face difficult days, we say something along the lines of what God allowed this to happen, or, or something evil was allowed to happen to us. You know, we think about those stories, maybe like Joseph, or Job, or Daniel, Or even all those those New Testament martyrs. These were godly people. And it was because of their faith that that they went through these ordeals. They were tried and they were true. See, in all of God's omnipotence, their their pain was for a greater purpose. It was something mighty and holy. See, on difficult days, we picture ourselves as that blameless Job. You know, early in Job chapter 1. Where where God God says he knows Job can endure. Job has this great faith. Job is as faithful as anyone on the face of this earth. And so God God allows this trial into his life and and Satan creeps in. You know, that's how we like to picture ourselves. That's how we like to picture ourselves when when things are rough. When the days are, are terrible. That, you know, we're one of those faithful few. We're trudging through the pain. But I'm not sure that's what happens most of the time. And I know for certain that is not what's happening in Jeremiah chapter 29. Look down at verse 4 with me. Get down Jeremiah 29, 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God very deliberately did this. End of 14 says the same thing. I sent you into exile. This is exactly what I wanted to happen. And there was a specific reason behind it. See, God wasn't just allowing some kind of test of his faithful ones. God is blatantly punishing his people for their disobedience. They were disobedient to the point where God completely uprooted them out of their country, out of the promised land, and sent them out 700 miles away into exile. You see, these, these are not martyrs of a broken world, like we often like to think of ourselves. We're not, we're not martyrs of a broken world here. These people are victims of their own disobedience. You know, practically, this is what the first 28 chapters of Jeremiah are about. And not only the first 28 chapters of Jeremiah, but the book of Micah, the book of Zephaniah, the book of Habakkuk, the book of Ezekiel, all of them are saying the same thing about this time period. All of those books get there, but not quite like the first 28 chapters of Jeremiah. If you read the first 28 chapters of this book, God lets his people have it. Over and over again, God lets them have it because of their disobedience. God starts to lay it out for them. He says, you haven't been who I've called you to be. Everyone among you is living for yourselves. There's not anyone among you that cares about God anymore. There's not any one of you that that cares about what God said anymore. There's not any one of you that are searching for God's voice anymore. Nobody cares what God said before. Nobody cares what God is saying now. And he even goes even further than that. He says, not even your pastors care what God says. Not even your pastors care what the word of God is. The whole country, all of you are just done with God and, and it plays out in their everyday lives. It's all in there. First 28 chapters, Jeremiah, over and over and over again. Israel in 600 BC is a lot like we are today. Read through those chapters. It goes on and on. It says, everybody's a liar. Why is everybody lying there? No, no one cares about anybody but themselves anymore. It goes on, adultery's normal. Stealing is normal, lying is normal, murder is normal. No no one cares that they're cheating their neighbor anymore because everybody's just assuming all of us are cheating now. And and then it gets worse. While all this is going on, y'all are looking around and you just tell everybody, well, it's going to be okay. Everything's fine. It's peace. We're safe. It'll be over soon. And they just kept telling themselves over and over, oh, it's fine. And as they were telling themselves over and over again, "Uh, this is fine, the anger of God was rising to an unimaginable peak. They're about to be completely uprooted. Jeremiah says, you're worshiping other gods. He tells them. You're worshiping anything and everything other than God himself. And, And in fact, as you worship other gods, you begin to worship your own hands. And you worship what your hands have made. You start to worship yourself and who you are. And they had even come to believe that this promised land that God had given them. Come to think, this is not God's land. This is our land. This is mine now. And in fact, the the further they get away from the exodus, the more they thought they deserved the promised land. This is my land. I deserve this. This, this, is, this is my right, and I can claim it forever. And God was trying to remind them all along, this, this isn't your land. It's my land. This is mine, and you're taking it for yourselves. One of the ways that, that Scripture describes this moment in the history of Israel, it Jeremiah says this a couple of times. It says that uh, Israel is chasing the evil imagination of their own hearts. I don't think we realize how often the the pain of our lives is not caused by them, whoever they are. It's, It's not even caused by Satan out there. It's not caused by God, but that we regularly bring pain into our own lives by chasing the imagination of our evil hearts. The not listening, the not caring, the, oh, it's, it's going to be all right. We just grin and bear sin like it's a cold to get over. See, chasing down your own imagination leads straight into exile each and every time. I'm saying move away from, from whatever you're creating in yourself, and creating by your own hands and worship me. They wouldn't. No, nobody would listen. I got caught in a police search one time. Another golf story. I was, I was playing golf with some buddies in Houston. And little did we know, the police were on an all-out search. Everything they had. It felt like every officer in the county had come to this golf course. And in fact, they were zeroing in on right where we were standing. Now, we didn't know they were zeroing in on right where we were standing, but, but police from all over were coming in. In fact, we're on a tee box near a parking lot. We look up and there's, there's one helicopter that flies over. Then there's another helicopter that's coming. In the parking lot are 10, 12, 15 police cars pulling in. Policemen getting out of their cars. All have their hands towards their weapons and walking right for us. And so we're we're standing there, and we start to realize like an all-out search is happening for something here. And as we're standing on the tee box, I remember it vividly, there's a row of bushes right beside us, and about five feet from us, there's a man laying in the bushes uh, right there beside us. And we all start looking at each other and going, what is going on right now? I felt like we are in a movie or something. And the man jumps up and runs right in front of us, across the tee box, across the golf course, uh, into a house that was that way. And so immediately you start to think like, am am I obligated to be a part of this search now? Do I like throw my golf club at this guy? What, what, what What am I legally obligated to do at this point? And we're just standing there flabbergasted that this is happening around us. And all the police just run past like we aren't even there. And then this house, this poor house that's over here on this side of us, every policeman in Texas is like descending on this house now. And armored vehicles and just every direction, the helicopters are zeroing in. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if they caught the guy or not, but I can tell you this. That unsuspecting house um, was converged upon like the entire FBI's most wanted list was in there. See, that was a real search. Those officers were going with everything that they had to find that guy. It wasn't just some kind of cursory search, looking around to maybe find a clue, to find a clue that's going to lead to something. They were going all out. It was all or nothing. They weren't going to stop. Now, I want you to compare that kind of search with that kind of search where you're laying on the couch while your child is playing hide-and-seek, and your child is hiding, and you're watching TV, and you're just yelling, I can't find you. <laughs> See, those are, those are two totally different scenarios, right? One takes about six seconds. The other takes what it takes. It's all-encompassing. You're all in. Read, read verse 13 with me. It's Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. See, by the grace of God, it does not matter what exile you find yourself in today. If you will but search for God from the bottom of your heart, going all out, doing whatever it takes, God is ready for you. God is ready to forgive you. God is ready to receive you. God is ready to restore you. God is ready to build you up again. See, we, we long for that Jeremiah 29, 11. All, all of those things that are, that are explained there, the perfect plans for our life, to be perfectly right with God, our own welfare taken care of, our abundant future, our unwavering hope. We want those things. And and those are available to us right now through through the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you right now, you you don't have to wait 70 years on the body and blood of Jesus Christ. He has already given it for you. And he he is available to you right now today. You see, even while you are an enemy of God... Even if you are an enemy of God in the midst of self-inflicted exile, God is still thinking of what is best for you. God is still hoping to restore you and bring you back even when you've done this to yourself. God is there with, with open arms. You see, our God, as you you see, read all through Jeremiah and Jeremiah 29. God is a God who restores and gathers in. That's God's nature. God wants to restore, God wants to gather in. You see, the, the people that don't know the restoration and are distant from God get there by cursory six second searches. You're not going to find our God by looking for him like a lost sock. See, when you want God more than anything else in your life, Jeremiah 29, 11 happens, and it happens right now. You see, Jeremiah 29, 11 is not going to happen until you're ready to search for God from the bottom of your heart. So there's another question before us this morning, the question of our searching. What are those things in your life right now that you're ready to search for? That you're ready to search for with everything that you have. What what will stir a desire from the bottom of your heart to find? What, what are you looking for this morning in this place? What are, you, what are you hoping to find? Because it seems to me that a lot of us in the church today are searching for something other than God. That we search for comfort, we search for stability. A lot of us are searching for control of our own lives. We're searching for answers to unanswerable questions. We're we're searching for whatever we need to rise above our station. We're searching for quiet. We're searching for the way things used to be. We're we're searching for that treasure chest full of gold. If only it would come. See, God God sees these searches. He he sees our heart and and what it's looking for. and, And what our heart would give up everything for. And he's warning us this morning. God is warning us through the prophet Jeremiah that if you would search for God like you search for self-preservation, everything would be good. If only we would search for God like we search for ourselves. Because our God is findable right now. That's his character. That's what he's telling you in Jeremiah 29, 11. I am findable. I want to be found by you. Even in your fatness and your harlotry, God can be found. And when it's right, when, when you're ready to say, God, I'm I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to search for you with everything that I am. God is a God who washes all of that clean. And he makes all of that right. When you, when you start an all-consuming search for God, He says, I've, I've got you. I've got the plans for you. I have a hope for you. I've got you taken care of. Just turn around. I don't want to see your back anymore. Turn around so I don't see your back and I see your face and come this way because I've got you. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven 11 is as true today as it was then. There's a hope and a plan for you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the prophet Jeremiah. We thank you for your scripture. We pray that we would heed the warning. And Lord, as we turn now to the supper, give us grace. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.